Please remain standing in honor of God's word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs. And this morning we'll look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 through 35. Proverbs 3, beginning at verse 21. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. And you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, once again we remember the great promise of James 1, 5 and 6, that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should just ask of you, and you will give it generously to all without finding fault. But he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. So, Father, we do indeed believe this promise, but we also ask you to help our unbelief. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. have a book in my library called Believing God. Believing God. And the point is that as Christians, we're not just to believe in God, believe that a God exists, but we are actually to believe God when he speaks to us in his word. We are to believe God when he makes promises to us. The subtitle of the book is 12 Biblical Promises Christians Struggle to Accept. One of the promises is Romans 8.28, which would have been one of my chapters if I had written the book. That chapter is titled, All Things Work Together. Another chapter is titled, Our Heavenly Father Loves Us, based on 1 John 3.1, where we're told, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Um, If I was writing this book, I would add a chapter called All These Things Shall Be Added based on Matthew 6.33 where Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. And in the context, it's food, clothing, shelter. And it's a reminder that if, if we seek God's kingdom and we live as he's calling us to live, everything else will be added unto us. 
And then if Solomon were writing one of the chapters, perhaps he would want to title one of the chapters, Wisdom is Better Than Silver. And he might base that on Proverbs 3, 13 through 15 that we saw last week where Solomon said, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. I wonder if we believe that promise, that getting wisdom is better than silver, gold, and jewels. If you've been with us for a while, you know that Solomon has been admonishing us, exhorting us, encouraging us to do whatever we can to get wisdom and understanding. Previously, we looked at Proverbs 4, 7, which says, The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, gets understanding. And in the NIV, it's translated, though it cost all you have, get understanding. And that's the beginning of wisdom. Do everything you can, regardless of the cost, to get wisdom and understanding. If you were here last week, I gave you the first half of the sermon, and this morning is the second half of the sermon. And we began at the very first word, which in English is blessed, in verse 13. And I reminded you to see what it really said. You needed to put on your Hebrew glasses, and you would have seen that that word blessed in the Hebrew is plural, and it's a plural of intensive exclamation which means that it denotes either a multiplicity of blessings or an intensification of them. So that word could be translated, Oh, the happinesses, or oh, the blessednesses that crown the head of a person who finds wisdom and gets understanding. And again, if you were here, I'll let you know that that word finds doesn't mean that you just trip over it as you're going on your way. Finds implies diligent search. Perhaps if you need wisdom in a certain situation, you need to be persistent in prayer. You need to be crying out to God for direction and understanding so you know the steps that you have to take. Uh, perhaps you need to be involved in a small group with some other Christians. Uh, Bible study is something that you should be doing on a regular basis. basis. Maybe you need to read a book or two on a subject that you're, you're struggling with. I talked to a Christian just this last week, and they were struggling with something, and I had a couple of books for them. Perhaps you need to do that. Uh, maybe you need to seek out godly counsel. Get together with another godly man or, or woman and, and look for their input. And, of course, you need to be walking closely with the Lord, because wisdom comes from God. Uh, last week, the first point was wisdom is man's greatest treasure, and that was found in verses 13 through 18. And we could summarize it this way. Find wisdom, get understanding. She is better than silver, gold, jewels, Precious jewels, nothing you desire can compare to her. Since she offers life's greatest gifts, 
long life, riches, honor, pleasantness, peace, and even eternal life as symbolized by the tree of life. And I would ask you, what would you pay for those blessings? What would you pay for long life, riches, honor, pleasantness, peace, eternal life? They all come through wisdom. And Bruce Walke had said, wisdom is better than silver because while money can put food on the table, it can't put fellowship around it. While money can enable you to purchase a house, it can't turn it into a home. And while money can give a woman beautiful jewelry, it cannot give her the love that she most desires. And then the second point last week was wisdom is God's greatest treasure. And I said, in case you think that's an exaggeration, remember that wisdom is not just principles to live by or character traits that guide our life, but it is also a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And in verse 19, we read, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And that could be translated, The Lord, by Jesus Christ, by wisdom, created the heavens and the earth. And I said, it seems like an interruption that... Solomon is talking to people and his son, and he has these two verses about the Lord. And we said, well, why are these two verses about the Lord there? And I think Wilkie, again, nailed it when he said, If the Lord with wisdom as his tool accomplished the wonders of the various phases of creation, setting the earth on its foundations, the heavens in their appointed place, and watering the earth with rain from its clouds, Think what his revealed wisdom will do in the lives of those who find it. So the Lord was given to us as an example of what you can do through wisdom. So those were the first two points, if you're taking notes. This morning, I'll give you the second two points and just quick review in case you missed it. The first point was wisdom is man's greatest treasure. The second one is wisdom is God's greatest treasure. Number three, wisdom is the son's greatest treasure. And number four, wisdom is society's greatest treasure. So I tried to keep with the alliteration to make it nice and easy for all of you who are scrambling to write those down. So number three, wisdom is the son's greatest treasure. After talking about men in general and then the Lord specifically, Solomon is now addressing his son or this morning, Think of it as your heavenly father addressing you personally. Verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So the first thing he says is do not lose sight of these. In the Hebrew, it's literally let them, referring to wisdom and understanding, not depart from your eyes. I'm sure some of you parents have had this experience. Maybe you're in an amusement park or a sporting event, and there's, there's thousands of people, and you're crowded, and you're together as a family. And, and if you have a little kid, you're holding their hand tightly, and, and you're saying, and our family was, don't let go of Zach. I say that because he, he's the youngest in the family. 
Don't let them out of your sight because if you have thousands of people and one of your kids wanders away, it's not going to be pretty. Now, it's hard to lose sight of him now because he's over 16. <laughs> but the idea of wisdom and understanding, don't let it out of your sight. Keep a close eye on it. And then he goes on and he says, keep sound wisdom and discretion. And that word keep is interesting. It could also be translated guard. Guard it. In Genesis 2.15, some of you will recall that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That could also be translated and guard it. And you say, guard it from whom? Guard it from intruders, like a serpent who might want to come in the garden. Uh, I'm working on an article on this passage, and I've entitled it, Guardian of the Garden. And I really do believe that that was one of Adam's responsibilities. Work it and guard it. And that same Hebrew word is translated guard in the next chapter in Genesis 3, 24. After they sinned, they were driven out. And we read, he drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So they were guarding it with swords. And we are to keep, we are to guard wisdom and understanding. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep a close eye on them because they are more valuable than silver. And in 22, Solomon says, they will be life for your soul. And I ask you, what? could be more precious than that. Life for your soul. And of course, Jesus warned us, what good would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul? And Solomon is saying, wisdom will bring life to your soul. And he goes on and he says, and adornment for your neck. We've seen this before. In our context, we might say wisdom is like winning the gold medal at the Olympics. And by the way, some people dedicate their entire lives to winning a gold medal at the Olympics. They get up early to train so they can win a gold medal. They watch their diet carefully so that they can win a gold medal. Just recently at the, at the health club, a father came in with his 12-year-old son. And I said, hey, it's so great to see your son. And he said, this is his first day here. He just turned 12. And, and now he can come upstairs. And I was like, this is great. And I was encouraging him. And he really appreciated that because he came to me later. And his son is in sixth grade, 12 years old. And I see him regularly. And I, and I just wanted to encourage him. I said, it's great to see you. You're other, the other kids in your class are sleeping in, and here you are training with your dad before school so that he can be the best wrestler that he can be, and I'm just trying to encourage him. It's one of my jobs at the health club, in case you don't know. <laughs> encourage all the fathers and the sons that I, that I see together. But he's rising early, maybe to win a medal. We Christians should rise early so that we can find some wisdom. Maybe we should rise early so that we can read the Bible. One of my professors at Moody had a little saying, 
no Bible, no breakfast. Maybe it was his way of saying, man does not live by Captain Crunch alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But here's a serious question. Did you read your Bible this morning? If you want to find wisdom, you have to be intentional. You have to be deliberate. There has to be some kind of discipline in your life. If that discipline's in your life, you will enjoy life for your soul and medals around your neck. Solomon goes on, verse 23, Then you will walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. Reminding me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which I know many of you have memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's a great picture. If you trust in him, he will make straight your paths. It's like as you go through life, God will remove the obstacles out of the way, the potholes, the speed bumps. He'll move them out of the way. It'll be nice and smooth, nice, nice and straight as you're trusting in him, and your, your foot will not slip. You will not trip. You will walk securely on your way. And we're going to see a reference to this foot a little later because it comes up again in verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So inclusio, like we had last time, he talks about foot here and then foot a little later, bringing the passage together. But the main theme is security as you walk, as you go through life. Verse 24. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. He mentions sleep because that's when we're vulnerable, especially in this ancient society. You put your head down at night and, and you're sleeping. Thieves can break in and steal what you have. They didn't have alarm systems back then like we like we do. Maybe they didn't have locks on their doors like we do. And God is saying, if you walk with me, you won't have to be afraid. I'll, I'll keep you safe. Like Psalm 4, 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You'll be safe when you sleep. But it's not just talking about security or safety. It's also talking about God blessing us with sleep that is sweet. In Psalm 127.2, we read, It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. God blesses those he loves with sleep, sweet sleep. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Americans spend a lot of money on medications to help them get a good night's sleep when wisdom will give it to us for free. By the way, just a, a word about sleep because I'm guessing there's probably hardly a person in here who hasn't had difficulty sleeping at one time or another. 
But years ago, I remember R.C. Sproul saying that whenever he had difficulty sleeping, he would meditate on Psalm 23. And I thought that was good advice. And, and I do that occasionally because I have Psalm 23 memorized. So if I'm having trouble sleeping and I'm tossing and turning, I can, I can lay right there and I can just go through the psalm phrase by phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. The Lord who created heaven and earth. The Lord who loves me. The Lord who sent his son to die for me. The Lord, he's... He's my shepherd. He knows that I'm a dumb sheep. He knows that I'm a fearful sheep, an anxious sheep. The Lord is, is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why would I want when he promises to meet all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus? And, and if you just go through it phrase by phrase and, and meditate on that, uh, perhaps God will bless you with, with sleep. So maybe that would be helpful to you on those occasions when you have difficulty sleeping. But God blesses his, his people with sleep that is sweet. And then in 25 and 26, do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This is fearlessness, and it's a fearlessness not as a result of self-confidence, but as a result of God confidence. God will be your confidence. God is watching over you, and he will see to it that your foot is not caught or literally captured. You will not be captured. So it's a picture of, of an enemy trying to capture you, but God will watch over you. Thought of my, my grandfather in Upper Michigan. He was a he was a hunter, and he had all these traps, different sizes, you know, traps like this and like this, and for bigger animals. And some of you are familiar with these traps. You know, you hold them open, and if you step on it, it, it snaps on you. And of course, you don't want to step on one of those, especially one of the bigger ones. And and we're told that God will protect you. Your foot will not be caught. You will not be captured by another person. He will keep you safe. And it's going to be fascinating, I believe, when we get to heaven and God will let us know about all the times he kept us safe. I can still remember one Sunday morning, we were, we were living with my mother at the time and in Lake in the Hills, and I was driving to church, and I was at a stop sign, and I was just getting ready to pull out in this car, and the left-hand side went right through the stop sign. And if I had not stopped... Two seconds later, that car would came right into me. My last accident, same thing, I'm going straight, car hit me 50 miles an hour or more, and it hit the door behind me. I almost died by about that much. I really do believe God was watching over me. And I'm sure many of you could tell stories as well when you had a close call with death. And won't it be fun when we get to heaven? Maybe an angel says, that was me. Wait a second, that was me. God told me, go down there, watch over him. He's going to get himself killed. He shouldn't be pulling out in the intersection like that. It's his fault, but you watch over him. God watches over his, his people. And it's, it's interesting that 
Earlier, it says that that wisdom will keep your foot from being caught. And then later, it says the Lord will keep your foot from being caught. And I think we can harmonize that by saying the Lord works through wisdom. As we're wise, God will work through that. So wisdom is man's greatest treasure. Two, wisdom is God's greatest treasure. Three, wisdom is the son's greatest treasure. Number four, wisdom is society's greatest treasure. And here Solomon is moving from the individual to the neighborhood, if you will. And we have three commands. The first command is don't withhold good. Don't withhold good. 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you. And it's interesting. It says, do not withhold good from whom it is due. We have an obligation to our neighbors to help them if we can. Now, of course, we can't always help them. That's why the verse ends by saying, when it is in your power to do, it's not always in our power. But if it is in our power to do it, part of being a Christian is being a good neighbor. And we're to show love, not just, not just in word, but also in deed. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We are to help our neighbor. And some of you might want to ask, well, pastor, who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked that question on, on one occasion. Who is my neighbor? And some of you may recall that he then told the par parable of what we now know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he said that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he, and he fell among robbers and they beat him up and they left him half dead on the side of the road. And then Jesus said, and, and a priest was walking by and went right around him. And then a, a Levite was walking by and went right around him. And of course, she is saying, look at these good religious people ignoring this man in need. And then he said, and then a Samaritan came. And the Samaritan helped him, put him on his donkey, bandaged him up, took him to an inn, paid his expenses so that he could be taken care of. And then Jesus said, which of these three men proved to be a neighbor to the man in need? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And he said, go and do likewise. Now, I think it's an interesting parable. People ask, who is our neighbor? And they think the answer is, Anyone who is in need, your neighbor is anyone who is in need, and that's true. But what's fascinating is that Jesus kind of flipped the question a little bit. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? And by the time Jesus is done, he is saying, which one was a neighbor to the man in need? The real question is not, who is my neighbor? The question is, am I a neighbor? Am I a neighbor to those around me. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I, but I love this story, and some of you haven't heard it. Uh, but a, a boy turned 16, 
he got his driver's license and he was driving down the road in his neighborhood and he was driving in a nice sports car and a friend of his saw him driving down the road in the sports car and he slowed down and he said hey how do you like my new car you want to ride and he's like yeah gets in the car and they're going for a drive he's like wow this this is a great car this this is your car he's like yeah this is my car he's like wow where did you get this car he says my brother gave it to me he's like your brother gave you this sports car wow i wish i could be a brother like that that's that's the question do we have a heart that says i want to be the kind of neighbor who helps other people who are in need and the psalmist is saying do not withhold help when you can do it and often we don't because it's an inconvenience it may cost us time it may cost us money and we we don't want to be bothered but we're to be good neighbors that's what Jesus is calling us to do so the first point is uh, don't withhold good the second point is don't plan evil don't plan evil 29 do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you isn't that interesting you you trust those who are around you at, at the health club this this last week I, I took a shower and when I came out my bag was there and one of the other guys said uh, you don't want to leave your bag there by the way some of you are wondering what are you doing at the health club all the time I'm looking for sermon illustrations <laughs> that's what I'm doing there looking for sermon illustrations <laughs> But I did. I locked just just so you know, I'm 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 not this foolish. I did put my wallet and belongings in the locker, locked those up, and I thought I'd just leave my bag out. And I came back and one of the guys said, Yeah, I left my bag out a couple weeks ago. When I came back, it was gone. Maybe you don't want to do that. And I said, like, Oh, I I guess I trusted the people uh, around here. He was saying, Yeah, maybe maybe you don't want to be so trusting to some of the people uh, at at this place. Our neighbor should be able to trust us. Isn't, it, isn't that interesting? Who live around you trustingly. And think of how important trust is for society. Think of how important trust is in a marriage. How important it is in a family. How important it is in a church community. And this, the same is true in a, in a neighborhood. You, you need to be able to trust those around you and and. Solomon is saying, you need to be a trustworthy neighbor. There shouldn't even be a hint of doing foolish things. And then the third command is, do not envy a violent man. 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. Isn't that interesting? A few weeks back, a few of us were talking about Asaph in Psalm 73. And in that psalm, Asaph says, I know God is good to Israel. He said, but as for me, my foot almost slipped because I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And Michael Sutton had a great, great observation. He says, isn't it interesting that you have these wicked people over there and, and often instead of pitting them or 
feeling sorry for them. We actually envy them. And I thought, that's a great observation. And, and Solomon right here is saying, don't envy the violent. And we, why would we envy a violent person? We should look at, at a violent person. We should feel sorry for that guy or that girl and think, boy, they really need to get their temper under control. They need to deal with their anger because they're, they're going to destroy their marriage, their family, their, their, their relationships. They, they need to get that under control. Isn't it interesting that we often envy people that we should feel sorry for? And I do think there's, there's a connection here. You might see it as two separate commands. Do not envy a person of violence and do not choose any of his ways. But I, but I think they're connected. You become like a person that you envy. Maybe if you're younger and you see that bully on the playground, you envy him because he seems to be powerful and other people respect him. You know, he walks through and other people step aside and you know, they, they treat him with respect. And you, you start to envy the bully who you should actually pity. I think it's kind of a fascinating observation that Solomon is making. Don't, don't envy those people. And something else, and I, I won't get into the details of the chiastic structure, but if you're familiar with that a little bit, you have points on, on either end. And then right in the middle is the main point. And verse 31 is the main point in this section, which means that Solomon is emphasizing this point right here. Do not envy a man of violence or become like him. And you think, why is this the main point is, is envy really that big of a, a problem? And apparently it is. In Ecclesiastes 4.4, 4, also written by Solomon, we read, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration. That's hyperbole. But in that passage, Solomon is saying, it's amazing what we do because we envy other people. The American newspaper editor, Emil Henry Ravru, said that he was part of that strange race of people, aptly described as spending their lives doing things they detest, to make money they don't want, to buy things that they don't need, to impress people they dislike. It is amazing the impact that envy can have on us. No wonder it's one of the seven deadly sins. You know, we talk about keeping up with, with the Joneses. Why are we trying to keep up with the Joneses? I don't even know the Joneses. Why, why are we trying to keep up with them? Well, do you see the size of their house and their car? Because, envy. Be careful. It, it's, it's a killer when we should be content and thankful for what God has, has blessed us with. And, and by the way, pastors aren't immune. This is an interesting verse in Philippians 1.15. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. It's like, some actually get up on a Sunday morning and preach the good news of Jesus Christ from envy? That's, that's sad. We, we, gotta, we have to be careful. Envy envy's a killer. But there is, there is a positive side to this. Maybe we should envy or the state of positive, admire a person of integrity. 
character, courage, faith, and choose his or her ways. All, all of us in this room have heroes, whether we want to admit it or not. Sometimes we think, you know, kids have heroes, you know, they admire the superheroes. We, we all have heroes. Imitation is inescapable. And in fact, we're even commanded as Christians to imitate. Hebrews 6.12, the author says, Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit eternal life. That's a command. Be an imitator. Some of you know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So we, we should be intentional about following certain people, people who are worthy of being followed. Men and women from church history who have proved themselves faithful to God. It's appropriate to have heroes and say, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. And obviously, we have a lot of examples in the Bible of, of heroes. And then in conclusion, we're given four sets of contrasts, which is kind of interesting. Four sets of contrasts. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So going back to verse 32, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. That's a strong term. The devious make the stomach of our Lord turn. But to the upright, they are in his confidence. That's, that's an interesting word. It could also be translated counsel, C-O-U-C-I-L. God brings you into his counsel. Amos 3.7 says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. I think that's interesting. When God wants to do something, he reveals his secrets to the prophets. This is, this is what I plan on doing down on earth. Would you like to be a part of my plan? In Genesis 18.17, we read, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't that fascinating? God brings Abraham into his council. And then you'll recall that he tried to intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah and went from 50 down to 10. There wasn't even 10 righteous, so he had to destroy it. But the Lord let him in on what he was, what he was doing. And God says, I, I will do that for the, what was the word? I want to make sure I have it right. The upright. He does it for the upright. And I, I said this last week, but I want to emphasize it again this week. Wisdom is more about a character trait than it is having the knowledge so that you can follow principles to live by. Wisdom is more about character, more about who you are as a person. In verse 32, wise people are described as upright. In 33, they are righteous. In 34, they are humble. If you want to be a wise person, you must be a person of character. 
You can read all the books you want about seven habits of highly affected people or whatnot. But if you're not a person of character, you will not be wise. We need to be men and women of character. And that's who God blesses. Last verse, verse 35. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Fools get disgrace, the opposite of honor. The wise get honor. We've looked at this word before. That great Hebrew word, kabod, could also be translated glory. The wise get glory, honor, reputation, respect. God, God will bless them. Last week, I was, I was listening to a message uh, from Greg Bonson on, on Proverbs and, and this section right here. And he said, if you were asked to give the marks of wisdom, how many of you would say one of the marks of wisdom is being a good neighbor? And I thought, that's fascinating. Until I studied this passage, I never would have given that answer. So this morning, as you sit there and I ask, are you a wise man? Are you a wise woman? One of the questions I have to follow up and ask is, are you a good neighbor? Are you a good neighbor to those around you? Are you known for giving help, for giving aid when others need it? In fact, when, when someone needs help, would they think of picking up the phone and, and calling you? Are you careful about being a person that can, that can be trusted? Part of being wise people, good Christians, is being good neighbors. Let's close in prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. and I do pray that we would grow in wisdom as a congregation, which also means that we will grow in character. Father, help us to grow in character. May we each be known as a person who is upright, righteous, humble, God-fearing. Father, I want to pray that we will grow in being good neighbors. Good neighbors to those who are close to us in our own homes. Good neighbors to those in our church community. Good neighbors to those in our, our communities where we, where we live. Pray that we can be a great testimony of the difference Jesus Christ makes in the life of an individual. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.